a good plan. They don't know what David looks like. However, there's one problem with this plan. David is carrying around Goliath's sword. You remember famous David and Goliath? David kills Goliath with the slingshot. Well, David, he's hiding out in enemy territory. He's got Goliath's sword. And oh, by the way, Gath, where he's hiding out, is Goliath's hometown. So David gets recognized. And they report David's presence to the king. The king's name was Akish. But our psalm calls him Abimelech. Abimelech was a title. It literally means my father is king. And Abimelech was probably the title that the Philistines gave their kings, much like the Egyptians called their king Pharaoh. So David, as one commentator put it, had fallen out of the frying pan and into the fire. And David finds himself at the mercy of Abimelech. So David conjures up another scheme. And this time, what David pretends to do is he pretends to go insane, to absolutely lose his ever-loving mind. And so he starts scratching at the doorposts. He starts allowing spit and spittle to, to fall down his beard. And Abimelech falls for it. And he thinks that David is insane. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 14 and 15, uh, Abimelech says this to his servants. Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you would have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So instead of killing David, Abimelech kicks him out of the city and David is free. Now this experience made such an impression on David that he wrote two psalms about it. He wrote one, Psalm 56, which is something that he wrote while he was imprisoned in Gath. And the second is our psalm, Psalm 34, which he's praising the Lord for his deliverance. Psalm 34 is an acrostic, meaning that each new stanza starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, with the exception of two. Two letters are missing, but that would uh, make it easier for people to remember. And David's trying to tee up for the people of God, saying, if you fear God, if you seek God, if you lean on God, if you trust God, he will deliver you. He will rescue you. You can trust him. He's worthy. The fear of the Lord casts out fear. We're going to divide the psalm into two parts. Verses 1 through 10, we're going to see that those who fear God trust God. And then 11 through 22, those who fear God obey God. Those who fear God trust God. Those who fear God obey God. First 10 verses, those who fear God, trust God. Those first 10 verses, they read more like a, a hymn. David wants to convince God's people to worship him, enjoy him, and experience that joy 
alongside him. Look at verses one through three. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David in verse one saying, I'm gonna bless the Lord continually. Like if you know me, that's all I'm going to talk about. His praise will always be in my mouth. If I'm gonna boast, verse two, I'm boasting in the Lord. Therefore, verse three, come magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. David has enjoyed the Lord has experienced the Lord with such delight that his delight isn't even complete unless he invites others to share in that with him. I mean, have you ever had uh, just, just a great experience at a restaurant or a great meal at a restaurant? Remember back then, back in 2019, we can go to restaurants and large parties and all that stuff. Have you ever just had a great meal where you just, you want to take others to that restaurant or you take a bite of something, you're like, you got to try that. Why? Because if someone shares that restaurant experience with you or shares that meal with you, that adds to their delight. I work with a few foodies and on staff here at Missio that are like that. You know, they, they enjoy food and they want to share that food with others. Or if you've ever uh, seen a good, like just a funny video on YouTube or like a just hilarious meme or something like that, and you're with some family or friends, you, know, you want to invite them over, hey, you got to watch this. Or watching a good comedy or something, you got to see this. And then if you've ever noticed, you probably find yourself watching them watch it. You're not watching it, you've already seen it. You're watching them watch it. Why? Because their enjoyment in the experience that you enjoy adds to your joy. In some ways, it actually completes your joy. That is what David is saying. I've enjoyed the Lord. Now come and enjoy the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. And his boasting, David's boasting, it's not just empty words. I mean, he personalizes the experience. Look at verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David had fears, he sought the Lord, the Lord delivered them, him from those fears. There was a threat, it was real. And what David's going to do is he's going to turn to someone who's more powerful to deliver him from that fear, as I mentioned earlier, like a fear swap. Now imagine you're young, and you're on the playground, and there's a bully, and he's just been teasing you, and you know the threats are real, and you know he can just pummel you. It's someone to legitimately be afraid of. Well, if you find yourself in that situation, you don't go get your younger sister for help. No, you go get your older brother who's seven foot tall in order to protect you because you know that the bully cannot stand up to him. Why? Because you've turned to someone who is more powerful, someone who is mightier, someone who is stronger than that which you fear. He continues in verse five, those who look to him are radiant 
and their faces shall never be ashamed. Have you ever heard someone say that it looks like they have the lines of worry on their face? You carry enough burdens and enough sorrows long enough over the years, it will take a toll on your face. Contrast that with the precious promise of verse 5, where it says those who look to him are, are radiant. They don't have to hide their faces in shame. I mean, looking to the Lord works better than any de-aging cream that is out there, no matter how much it costs. If you turn to the Lord for help, the peace, the rest, the comfort, the joy will show on your face. Then he speaks in the third person in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Turning to the Lord, pursuing the Lord, seeking the Lord, resting in the Lord expunges the things that we're afraid of. What are you afraid of this morning? I'm not saying that the concerns, you shouldn't be frightened by them. There are legitimate things out there. Cases are rising. There's a real threat of more lockdowns. Loved ones, friends are getting sick. Okay, maybe you're not running for your life like David, but still, there's, there's pressures. Maybe you're concerned about your marriage. Maybe you're afraid for your 401K or your Roth IRA. Maybe you're afraid for your kids and the decisions that they're making. Maybe you have fears regarding a new administration coming in. With all of it, this psalm reminds us what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your fears upon him or cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then verse 8, Nate has already mentioned this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David is inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, there is a difference between reading about something or being told about something and experiencing something. If you've never been on an airplane, I could sit down with you and I can just explain just all the aspects of riding on an airplane, um, what uh, the boarding process is like, what takeoff and landing is like, what it's like to use the bathroom during turbulence in that little kind of little Space that's not really space, you can't even turn around. Or what the snacks are like, what the drinks are like, how to get off the airplane, or what the airports are like, how to find your way around. I can explain all of that, obviously, and most of you have been on an airplane, but until you experience it, you're not really gonna know the full effect of that. I can do the same thing about raising kids, marriage, etc. All the explanations would be second hand. And I could describe the goodness of God, 
the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, But unless you experience that, until you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that would all be secondhand as well. There are many Christians who have secondhand experience of God's goodness. They've heard sermons about God's goodness. They've read books about God's goodness. They would say that they believe that God is good, but they haven't tasted and seen for themselves that the Lord is good. Say it again, the Lord is good. And David, in this psalm, is encouraging all of God's people to experience the goodness of the Lord by pressing into him, by turning to him, Especially in moments where there are legitimate, frightening things pressing in all around us. And it's in those moments when we turn to the Lord that we begin to taste and see that he is good. Then he says in verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints. Why? For those who fear the Lord have No lack. It's like he's storing up goodness for you and ready to meet your needs, meet you in the midst of your trouble and heartache, to provide for you and to protect you. To take it a step further, verse 10, the young lions, they suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's interesting he uses this illustration of a lion. Lions are at the top of the food chain. If you ever watch Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, something like that, you know, you hear the guy with a great Australian accent kind of commenting on how the lion's prowling around and you know he's going to get the gazelle like he always gets the gazelle. He's the top of the food chain. And what David's saying is that even that lion, top of the food chain lion, the strongest, the most powerful from everything our eyes can see, even that earthly might suffers want and hunger. But for God's people, we turn to the Lord, look to him for comfort. We will lack no good thing. Those who fear God, trust God. And then the back half of the psalm, which I'll go much quickly, quicker through, um, if the first half read like a hymn, the back half reads a bit more like a, like a sermon. It's that second point, those who trust God, obey God. He introduces it in verses 11 and 12. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you, what? The fear of the Lord. And then he explains the benefits of the fear of the Lord in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days? that he may see good. So if you fear the Lord, resulting in obedience to the Lord, generally speaking, there will be life, many days, and goodness. And, And David doesn't define obedience as an emotion, or excuse me, he doesn't define fear as an emotion. He defines fear as obedience. The fear of the Lord is not 
just an attitude. It is action as well. Listen to how he continues to describe it. Verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Those who fear the Lord speak without deceit. They're careful what they say and they're careful how they live. Why? Because they know, they fear the Lord so much, they know that they will answer to him. And that's honoring and glorifying to the Lord. What we fear most, that's what we worship. You think of polytheism, which we all know what that is. It's the worship of many gods. You think of ancient days where... um, you know, peoples would, would worship like the sun god or they would worship the moon god or the ocean god or whatever. But what if that sun god and that moon god required the same sacrifice the same exact time? What would you do? You couldn't figure out a way to offer a sacrifice to both. Like you had to pick one, who would you choose? Well, of course, you would choose the god you feared the most, who was most powerful, and then you would offer the sacrifice to that God. And we in America, we don't really think of ourselves as polytheists, and yet we know that there are many lowercase g gods that we worship all the time. If our work, our job, demands certain time, energy, effort, even if we have to lie to compete, to get ahead, get the promotion, close that deal, you know, do we feel that, do we fear that failure, that disappointment more than the fear of the Lord? Maybe it's the lowercase g gods of, of politics or education or sports activities or what that friend says or whatever it is. What you fear the most, that is what you will worship. You choose your friends over the Lord because you don't want the embarrassment. You don't want the shame. You don't want them to think you're a bigot or something like that. You choose your possessions or your own entertainment because you actually believe that that momentary enjoyment, that temporary pleasure, that is greater than the enjoyment and delight found in the Lord. But David's saying that's not the way to life. Fear the Lord, and when you fear him, he leads to infinite joy, infinite grace, full and complete delight. He expounds, verses 15 and following, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his, his ears toward their cry. The Lord like, directs his face toward his people. Contrast that with what verse 16 says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Do you hear these promises of those who turn to him, delight in him, look to him, fear him? Now, it doesn't mean that those who fear the Lord won't experience heartache, pain, or trouble. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. What? I thought those who looked to him would be delivered from it all. It's not saying that we won't experience the consequences of sin from our sin or the sin of others or the fall of the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but 
The Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. That's not a promise, by the way, where once you become a Christian, like no more broken fingers, no more surgeries, like you're, you're covered. That's not what it's saying. It's a general statement that is saying that the Lord will watch over you and protect you. Interestingly enough, John uses verse 20. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. He quotes it in, in John 19:36 when Jesus is coming, they're taking him down from the cross and not one of his bones were broken. Like the, how the, the God the Father looked after God the Son and fulfilled a prophecy. But all of this is a strident urge a gracious plea for God's people to turn to the Lord, to fear him, to rest in him, to obey him, which can be culminated in the last two verses, which presents two ways of living. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. There is a way towards condemnation and that is to turn away from the Lord and to turn away from his provision in Jesus Christ. But then look at the last verse, verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. We know as God's people, in Christ Jesus, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear the, the preciousness of that promise that the Lord, his eyes are towards you, his ears are towards you, his face is towards you. Fear him, magnify him, delight in him, take joy in him, and allow that to expunge the other legitimate fears in your life. For we are in the hands of the good, gracious, mighty, and powerful God. What are you fearing this morning? Have you rolled those fears onto the Lord? Do you trust God with those fears? Are you turning to God for deliverance from those fears? In the midst of those fears, do you obey God or do you try to chart your own path? People of God, let the, let the fear of the Lord cast out fear. Let's trust him. Let's obey him. And in a moment, when I'm done praying, we're going to sing this psalm together. It's part of the beauty of inviting one another to sing. Even if you don't feel like singing, you hear your brother or sister singing off key with a mask over their face, and it's, it encourages you. It lifts up your soul. So maybe you might not need the encouragement, but belt it loud for your brother or sister Allow those emotions to well up inside you with gratitude and thanksgiving for the greatness, the glory, and the goodness of our God. Let's pray and let's sing together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the invitation from David to taste and see that the Lord is good. We thank you 
for the invitation from David to magnify the Lord and to exalt his name together. I pray that we would be people who look to you to cast out our fear. I pray that we would be a people marked by trust and obedience, reverence and awe, loving you, pursuing you, and seeking your face, especially in times of hardship. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. I sought the Lord.